Hey friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to Lighting a Fire. That I was his beloved and he was mine. That began to change everything for me. Relationship that streams out of the overflow of love naturally takes priority. You know, no matter how mature I think I become or how many books on theology or all kinds of like biblical studies I, I read or think about, <laughs> the truth is I think underneath I'm still a middle schooler who's insecure, who wonders more than anything, what does God think of me? Can Jesus actually love me? Our guest this morning is Alicia Bruxford. Alicia has spent her life telling people, both professionally and personally, that the answer is yes, that you are loved by the living God. And as a teacher, the only way to sustainably love and care for and serve your students is to stay connected to that source of love found in Jesus. Have you experienced that as an educator, those times when in your toes you know who you are, you are the recipient of the unmerited grace and favor and love of Jesus Christ, and, and it's like there's nothing more I want to do than communicate that with young people to invite them to know this transforming love. But I'm guessing, if you're anything like me, that you've also experienced that sense of weariness as a Christian school teacher um, maybe overwhelmed by to-do lists and just the daunting task of engaging 150 young people every day in your content. What I so appreciate about Alicia is that she doesn't paint some picture of a pie-in-the-sky relationship with Jesus, but invites us to walk the path of discipleship in the midst of our crazy day-to-day to-do lists and everything else going on. Okay, enough from me. My hope is that you're refreshed and encouraged by this morning's conversation with Alicia Bruxford. So Alicia, I'm just thinking about my own life, how often, how tired I am. Um, People wear so many different hats, so many different responsibilities. I often feel like there's so many different tabs open in my brain throughout the day. How do you prioritize the most important thing? In other words, which one of those hats comes first? Yeah, Brian, that's such a great question and such a real struggle. I believe if many of us who are Jesus followers would be asked what's most important, we would say, well, Jesus is most important. But I think often, you know, like the reality that streams from our Mm. lives doesn't really show that. I feel like for, for decades, I would have told you Jesus was most important. But when that priority actually started to become my first priority is really when I fell in love with Jesus. Hmm. And so I would say there's a difference between obviously knowing about Jesus, that that doesn't quite cut it. Even knowing Jesus, you know, knowing who he is and giving him a piece of our life is very different than giving him all the pieces of our life and, you know, making him life. So for me, you know, I was in my 20s and I started to wake up to just his personal pursuit of my heart. And I just started to understand him, not just as the friend that I was told he was in youth group, which he's a wonderful friend, you know, not just as my father, which was another image and beautiful image. I love knowing that I have, you know, a perfect father. Um, But when I started to understand him as, you know, my beloved, 
and the flip of that, that I was his beloved and he was mine, Mm. that began to change everything for me because relationship that streams out of the overflow of love um, naturally takes priority. I feel like the way that my relationship with Jesus stays in that priority position is when I continue to fan the flame of love with him and also just continue to be in a posture of receiving his pursuit, his love. It's not like he captures us once and it's over. You know, we like, oh, I fell in love Mm -hmm. with Jesus when I was eight. Well, yeah, I fell in love with Jesus probably when I was four and again when I was five. And, you know, that is an ongoing process of continuing to be captured by who he is. And that for me has really shifted um, the priority to making Jesus the most important. Even just thinking about my own life, when when that's the the cornerstone foundational piece that I am Christ's beloved, everything else um, resting on that foundational identity, I think flourishes in a unique way, If in a way that it wouldn't if that wasn't the, the very most true thing about me. When Reagan, our firstborn, was, was born, actually before she was born, I, I uh, my wife and I talked about what's the very first thing she's going to hear in her whole life, right? With these new little ears. Mm-hmm. And we talked about what, what, what do we want to say? Because she'll hear all kinds of words throughout her whole life, right? And sometimes they'll be damaging and discouraging. And, and so we want to be able to walk her back to those very first words she ever heard mm. on good days and on hard days. And the words we chose were, you are loved. Mm. Um, and, and it's not even the same as I love you, because I, I wanted to know I love her, but I wanted to know more than that, she's loved by the living God. Yes. Um, and that's got to be the foundation of her identity. Yes. Yes. So true. Oh, that that's so true. I think like right on the heels of being loved, I think a lot of us don't actually believe that Jesus likes us. I think a good chunk of us buy into the fact that he loves us because for God so loved the world. (laughs) And I'm thinking about a time when um, my youngest came home from vacation Bible school and I am making lunch and I just say like, hey, you know, Maggie, what did you learn at Bible school today? And she kind of stopped what she was doing and she cocked her head and she looked at me and she said, oh, I learned that Jesus likes me very, Mm. very much. And I looked at her and I'm like, oh, you mean Jesus loves you? And she was like, no, silly. He likes me. Hmm. And I don't know why, but that just struck me because so often I feel like we picture him as this like, holy God, who's only putting up with us because, you know, he has to. (laughs) Well, I sacrificed my son on the cross for you. So now I better like keep you, you know, and um, there's something, you know, like, the psalmist writes like he delights in us. And and when we start to just not just grasp that love, but understanding like this intimacy of being a beloved also means he delights in being with us. He likes mm-hmm. us. You know, he likes to be around us. He's not like hanging out with us, wishing he were somewhere else. It's oh. he's with me because he also likes me, which maybe seems like a, it's not a point with arguing, but. I guess for me, it's powerful to think he also delights in that time that he spends with me. 
I'm sure you've had conversations with people who say, I, I know that to be true. I, I can I can even believe that. But you've heard the saying about the, the journey from the head to the heart. How, mm-hmm. how what if I don't, is, is it about just feeling a certain way or mm-hmm. is that not it quite either? Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, if we're going to base it on feelings, there's going to be a lot of days that we're not even going to believe that truth. I found that one of the best fuels for that fire of love was, you know, to hear his voice through his word as he Mm, spoke those things, right? So spending time in his word, I remembered a certain season as I was sort of waking up to this love relationship, I had a journal and it was just filled with the things he said about how he felt about me, how he loved me, how he treasured me. And Mm. on those days that I wasn't feeling it, um, I would have to just go back to those words and basically ingest them and like breathe them in and speak them out and breathe them in and speak them out. I think for me, one of the big turning points too, and sort of bringing that love relationship into something that felt um, like ever evolving, you know, not just like my five-year-old Sunday school love, but a fresh and new relationship as I grew with Jesus was just learning to not only hear his voice in the scriptures, but learning to hear his voice off the page too. Mm. And waking up to the idea that we have this personal God who pursues us. He is a God who speaks. <laughs> I mean, he, Jesus is the word. And so certainly he has something to say. And so starting to open my heart also went hand in hand with opening my ears. And mm. maybe it was as simple as like, you know, driving across town and um, noticing the incredible sunrise as I took the kids to school and just, you know, feeling that whisper like, I love you so much. Look how I painted the sky. Mm. Or maybe it's in those times when I'm feeling super unlovable, pausing and simply asking like, here's how I'm feeling about me today. How are you feeling about me, Jesus? Mm, yeah, right? yeah. And giving that space for him to, to answer and to speak. And one of my favorite authors, Sarah Haggerty, talk, has written a book called Unseen. She just talks about the power of knowing we have the God who sees us, even in the moments that we feel unseen. And as we begin to sort of shift our gaze to him and realize his eyes are always on us. It just changes how we function in those unseen moments. And a lot of our life really ends up being unseen moments. Hmm. Oh, amen. Yeah. Just to, the, the joy of walking with Jesus in an ordinary day. There's uh, just a few nights ago, I had a little bit of time. Everyone was asleep, and I thought, like, what, what, like, significant thing can I do? And I was thinking, like, can I write something? Or, and I, w- I just really sensed the Holy Spirit inviting me just to to spend time in prayer with with Jesus. And it was, and it was this reminder that that's the most important thing you could do. You yeah. could write uh, a blog post that was shared a hundred thousand times, and that would not be as significant as spending time. In, in communion with Jesus right now. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think so often um, the reason we're not drawn to that is because we just measure significance differently than the Lord does. Hmm. You know, like I feel like 
if we could just for a minute sort of grasp the way he sees life, we would probably forever have a shift in how we do life, you know, but it's so hard to remember that he's the God who values the unseen and values the small moments because we are constantly partaking in a world that screams bigger and better, you know, <laughs> go big or go home. And, and mm. we just forget the power of those small moments. So often I just think that um, we, we confuse like importance and significance. Um, so we're seeking to do something important when God often is like, how about something significant? Mm. And he's made it really clear, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. That's so significant to him. So there's, there's sort of this value of what you might call the middle minutes. You know, there are like 1,440 minutes in a day. And so often I get to the end of the day and I think, how many of those minutes did I live without even having Jesus in mind? And um, the power of what we do with those middle minutes can totally change um, our lives. You know, I think mm. it's the middle minutes where our love for Jesus grows. It's not oh, necessarily the big moments of worship or the mountaintop experience. That's kind of like a quick flame, but that enduring love for Jesus that just grows more and more and more each day, that mm. happens in the middle moments. You know, that to me, I think is one of the biggest dangers of technology. There's a lot of people who are who talk about all kinds of uh, pitfalls of technology. And some of them I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. But for me, I find that um, sometimes technology absorbs those middle moments yeah. in my life, right? That I, if I have a second, I just check my phone or check my email or check the news. And what I hear you saying is, what if we were aware of the presence of Jesus in those middle moments, how might that shape and transform not just our day, but our days and our life? Yes. Yeah. Because really in the end, what makes a life is, is moments, you know, a life mm. is made of moments. And so I do think we underestimate the moments. And also then we sort of um, make, we set the bar at a place that feels unattainable for someone who's working and, you know, raising yeah, a family yeah. and caring for elderly parents or whatever it is, those chunks of our day that are good pieces of our day, you know, we start to believe we need some kind of radically big chunk to get away with Jesus in order mm. to truly love him well or, you know, be connected to him. So that, that lie keeps us from even trying in the middle moments. And I think back to, um, when I was a mom with five young kids under 10 at home. And, you know, the first one loved to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And the <laughs> last one, you know, went to bed at ridiculous hours. And I remember just having this conversation with a wise mentor and saying, there's just no time in my day to be with Jesus. And um, she said, well, like Jesus is with you all day. So why are you trying to create new time? Every day has the same amount of time. And she just challenged me to take one verse in the morning, um, ask the Lord to show me one verse and to basically hold it all day, hold it in my heart. I literally held it in my pocket. I would write it on a post-it note. I'd stuff it in my pocket. And if the kids got busy playing Legos, I'd pull it out and I'd speak it aloud, speak it aloud. I'd turn it into a prayer. I'd let it spark a conversation with the Lord. Um, so like 
I don't know, maybe one. I, I remember, you know, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. So driving in the car and I'm a stoplight and I might just use that as this prompt, like, Jesus, <laughs> I am so tired. And in all of this tiredness, my soul is absolutely like dry. You know, I'm panting for you. Like, I just need a drop of you. Would you give me a drop so I can make it to nap time for the kids, you know, and <laughs> that same conversation. And, and it was just from one verse that it would shape my conversations with them. And it would, you know, sort of shift my mind back. And sometimes, you know, it, it felt like it kind of took me deeper. And sometimes it was literally just a cry for help all day long. Like, this is all I've got, Lord, but I'm going to turn your words back. Or maybe it was a promise, you know, Lord, your word says, you know, you will carry those with young. And so I need you to carry me because I am absolutely done. <laughs> and we've got seven more hours of this day to go. So letting, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I, have no, I know you have no way. idea. No idea. You don't at all know what it's like to be sleep deprived. <laughs> so I think what, what maybe used to be kind of like for me to grab a piece of his word, I have to really deliberately fight now to make that I don't grab my phone. Because what you're saying is true. There's so much distraction. It's a quick grab. I'll quick check an email. I'll quick shoot out a text. I'll quick, you know, scroll. Um, I'll take care of that. And it's all those quick grabs that keep me from reaching, doing the quick reach for Jesus, the quick reach for Jesus that ends up, you know, becoming this incredible lifetime reach where I'm just drawing closer and closer with each reach um, throughout the day. Mm. Alicia, what do you envision as Christian schools for what we're talking about of developing a, a relationship of love with Jesus? Is that something that can be taught or, mm -hmm. or can it be just modeled? What are mm -hmm. your thoughts? I don't know that you can teach someone to fall in love. Hmm. But I do know when I am around people who are just unashamedly captured by Jesus, I want that for myself. Hmm. So I think about when I was um, probably like 15 years old, I was a camp counselor at a church camp. And I was paired with like an older counselor. So I was kind of like a junior counselor. I was paired with an older counselor and um, the girl that I like did the week with and all the camp duties was named Heidi and Heidi was a senior in college and oh she was absolutely amazing and I would watch her throughout the day and while I can barely remember what she looked like or too many details of her personal life what I still remember is she was the most joyful person I'd ever met mm. I mean she was just a light with joy Nothing seemed to ruffle her. You know, we would have campers crying at night and she would slither out of bed and go over to those bunks and take a hand and just pray over them like Jesus was huddling. She just had this relationship with Jesus and the overflow of that was so attractive. She was also incredibly talented. So she was just super musical and she had all these talents. So I found myself as a young teenage girl thinking like, wow, I wonder what like she's going to do with her life, you know? Hmm. And so on the night before camp ended, we were laying on the beach, having a camp out with our little campers and all the little girls were asleep around us. So Heidi and I were laying there looking up at the stars 
And I remember saying to her, so tell me, what is your greatest dream? And she just barely missed a heartbeat. And she just said, oh, that's easy. Jesus is my greatest dream. Hmm. I remember laying there just like, oh, really? Like, cut the church talk. Like, <laughs> so I tried like another way. No, like, like, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do with your life? What do you, you know? And she's like, I just want to wake up and love Jesus a little more every day. And I honestly, at 15, thought that was so lame. <laughs> I remember you <laughs> laying there like, are you kidding? And then to make matters worse, she, you know, shifted the question back at me and said, so tell me, what's your greatest dream? <laughs> and I, I just remember like weighing it out. Like, should I be super honest and tell her I want to be like a famous writer and maybe a movie star? Or, you know, should I actually just repeat, oh yeah, Jesus is my greatest dream too. And I don't know what made me so like bold to be authentic, probably because it was dark and I was not going to see her again. I remember saying, I don't know my greatest dream, but I don't think it's that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she just laid there and just super graciously said, um, that's okay. You could just ask him to become your greatest dream. Like that's a prayer he would love to answer. Mm. And I, I honestly didn't think about that again, probably till you know, my upper 20s. And I checked off a lot of the dreams that I thought I'd had or not certainly not all of them, but you know, life had gotten pretty according to plan. And um, I found myself just really bored and kind of bored with my faith. Like, well, is this it? Like married a great Christian man, got a few kids. We're serving in our church. Like we're doing the things we're doing the life. Um, but I'm bored. And I just really remember the Lord beginning you know, just the spirit beginning to sort of challenge me, like, well, you're dreaming too small. Like, why did you dream so small? And I just started to think of Heidi and remembering, like, well, it's okay if it's not your dream. You could ask him to make himself your dream. And so I just started praying it. Honestly, did not think he would answer it. I don't know why I didn't believe he would answer that. But I would wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, like, I want you to be my greatest dream. Like, help me love you more. I want you to be my greatest dream. And, and for years, I just asked, would you make yourself my greatest dream? And there's no like big moment, you know, of fire where everything flipped. There was no one thing I can point to. It's just that he's so gracious to mm, answer that amen. prayer. And just over time, he just started to give me this hunger and he began to fan that flame. And as I asked, he gave, and I continued to ask. And he began to put people in my life, you know, living out that greatest dream. My kids who have gone to college have said so often that spiritual hunger attracts hunger. And so I have found that to be true in my own life. Like mm. when you are hungry for Jesus, I feel like somehow you are drawn to other people hungry for Jesus. And this begins to spur you on and people, you know, that hunger begins to sort of become greater and it kind of multiplies in exponential ways as you hunger for Jesus. And then you find people hungry for Jesus. So maybe mm -hmm. all the way back around, I, I, I'm tangenting way off back around to that question. 
what, you know, what can we do as Christian school teachers? Um, no, we can't make kids love Jesus. But I believe when we are hungry ourselves, that it is so magnetic and so attractive. And I believe if we can identify students who have that hunger, and I really do think we all have the hunger, you know, whether or not a student recognizes the hunger as a hunger for Jesus or is trying to fill that hunger in a thousand other ways. But if we begin, if we can begin to help students see what they're hungry for, it's a good starting place. Hmm. Oh, amen. You know, you're just reminding me also, Alicia, of the good news of the invitation just for this complete frankness and openness in prayer that's just like here's the actual thing in my heart god yeah. i don't love you you know yeah. uh, because i think for so much of my life i you, you, there's a pressure to say the right things or at least to not say the wrong things yeah. to god in prayer and that results in a distance because here's what's in my heart and i can't say that to god and what you're reminding me of is just the the wonderful good news I've discovered in saying, coming before God where I actually am, that the psalmist model so wonderfully as well, right? And, and, and just to say, uh, here's here's where I am at, God, and I'm asking that you take me and move me and shape me and change me. Yes. Um, that, that, that's just such a wonderful gift. You've, you've described Jesus as gracious uh, a number of times and so true that's so true in prayer as well yeah and I think maybe you know for our students to know like I actually don't have to be there today I can yeah. admit eh, you know I'm I'm not sure Jesus is the big thing for me I don't know if he's my most important thing yet um, but to be able to name that and have teachers say okay I dare you to ask for it. I do, you know, I dare you yeah. to engage in that conversation with Jesus. It's so interesting too. So often we try to hide the struggle, but I feel like, oh, yeah. you know, students, people, people are drawn to the struggle. I've ha often had people tell me in my own ministry, you know, oh, we really weren't drawn to your strengths as much as your weaknesses. It's like, <laughs> oh, you know, so when I would, spent decades speaking to young moms and I was the frazzled young mom who maybe showed up on stage barely combing her hair, you know, just <laughs> so happy to have made it. I can remember a time I had on like two different shoes, <laughs> just certain <laughs> that no one would stay to hear me speak because I couldn't even get dressed, you know, but um, the draw when we can just say like, this is a journey and there's a lot of pieces of my faith that I, you know, I just am struggling with and I'm, I'm okay with the struggle because God is okay with the struggle. Hmm. Yeah. You just have to imagine God is so tired of people saying, thank you for this day. When oh. they're not thankful. It's like, yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so think true. About what that relationship would look like with my daughters if they, if they always just gave me the lines, right. Or the things that I wanted to hear that uh, would break my heart. Yeah, I love it when my girls come to me and say things honestly and openly, because it's a sign that they trust me, that there's a nearness in our relationship. Yeah. And I have to ask how often am I doing that in prayer? And what yeah. does it say about who I think God is? Yes. Yes. It's so true. And we think about, you know, our most intimate relationships they don't get intimate um, without vulnerability. There's, yeah, just, oh, totally. there's no way to move into that kind of intimacy without vulnerability. And so 
I'm not sure why we would tell ourselves that Jesus doesn't long for that as well. Hmm. Amen. So Alicia, I'm a teacher. I work at a Christian school. And there are days when I, I look at about, in fact, I love mowing the lawn. I, I've talked to so many teachers who love <laughs> mowing the lawn because you mow the lawn and then you, it's like, wow, I just did something and I can see it. And there it is. And so often teaching is not like that, that I wonder, like, is there any fruit growing in this classroom and, and, and how can, how can I make this happen? How can, how can I produce more fruit? What do you say to somebody like me in, in that place? I think so often we, we're back to these measuring sticks, right? For how we're measuring. And, hmm. and we know that the Lord invites us into fruitfulness and knows that, you know, fruit comes from our obedience and our partnership with him. But I think so often we forget that the, that a lot of his discussion about fruit is in that context of the vine and the branches and abiding. And so when we're not seeing fruit, I think our human tendency is to work harder and try more and do more to make more fruit. When in reality, I've never seen a grapevine like struggling and straining and moaning to make more fruit. The job is to abide. So often I think that um, we start putting our effort on our sort of like public impact. You know, where can I pour in? What am I doing for my student? What can I see for the effort? And we measure whether that's working based on what we can see. And I think the truth is when we think about Jesus's invitation to abide, number one, he's in charge of fruit. He's just in charge Mm. of it. I'm in charge of the fruit. I'll grow the fruit. This is this is what he tells us in his word. But the key to that fruit is abiding. And so I think we often forget that like our kingdom, the kingdom impact of our public life. And so for teachers, that classroom life is directly related to the sacred intimacy of our private life. Hmm. And so maybe if our knee-jerk reaction was less I need to do more. What am I doing wrong in classroom? And more first response, Jesus, could you take me deeper? How am I doing in the unseen moments? What is my intimacy like with you, Jesus? Because it's that intimacy that in the end creates impact. And again, it's so messy because we're not really even in charge of the impact. So yeah, I used to be a teacher too. And I feel like I went an entire year without seeing any tangible evidence that what I did day in and day out was making any kind of difference. And it became this sort of walk of faith as I would bring this to the Lord and be like, what can I do? What should I do? I think it's very wise as a teacher to always be self-assessing, right? Like looking for new ways. So I'm certainly not saying don't ever try anything different, but just processing it with the Lord and saying, you know, what should I tweak? What should I do? And in the course of that year, I just felt like the Lord just kept saying, just like press deeper into me, press deeper into me. Mm. And we don't always know in his kindness at the end of that teaching year, he had a student write me just a long, long letter. And in this letter, it pointed out the most ridiculous small things that had made a big impact. Oh, so true. Now she said things like, remember that day you smiled at so-and-so and and told her she looked beautiful, you know? And, Mm. 
and said, Mrs. Brexford, I've been in class with her for this many years, and I've never heard someone tell her she's beautiful. And did you see the way she stood straighter in her spirit after that? And I remember reading these little tiny things, you know, and being like, no, I don't remember that. No, I don't remember that. Yeah, but right. as I spent time with the Lord, you know, he began to change my vision so that when the student, and that one in particular was a very complicated, troubled young woman, when that student walked through the door, instead of seeing all the labels that she'd been assigned and all the issues that she carried, I honestly saw this beautiful young girl. And so it was out of the overflow, you know, of that intimacy I was developing with the Lord that I was able to say, oh my goodness, look at you, you look beautiful today. And, um, and it wasn't words, you know, it wasn't just compliment it was it was truth so yeah i just don't i i just don't think we can ever underestimate the way um we grow the kingdom first by growing deep roots with jesus and then out of the overflow of that 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 dictates what we see and what we say and how we confront the struggling student and how we see the the prideful student and all of the way that our vision is impacted hmm, by first yeah. putting our eyes on Jesus. I've just been learning that same thing, just the knowing God is making God known. I so often strive to like, how can I make God known? But yeah. the reminder that, yeah, knowing God is is the primary way of making God known. In fact, you can't make God known without knowing God. It doesn't right. work like that. And especially in today's, you know, like quick world of you can get your voice out there. You can get your words yeah, out there. You can yeah. throw up a post. You can throw up a great little graphic. You can, you know, we can put a lot of words to it and um, there's time for that. But so often we underestimate what he's doing with daily faithfulness, just that faithfulness and that love, that that love relationship that we are growing and is spilling from us. It's, it really is magnetic. It's so attractive to a world that is just deeply in need of, of knowing they are beloved. I think so often as we are constantly pouring out in the classroom or our homes or wherever we are that um, the Lord has led us to pour out, it's easy to forget just a very simple truth. And that's just, we cannot pour out what we don't have. So I think about a really hot summer's day. All my kids were playing outside and I just looked out the window and I could just see those like flush red faces and they were all hot and sweaty and like the whole neighborhood was in the backyard. And so I hollered out the sliding glass door and said, all right, when you guys need to cool down, you know, come on in for some lemonade. And in time, uh, the neighborhood filtered in to the kitchen and they're all sitting at the table and I did this dramatic, you know, theatrical like, and now for the lemonade. And I went to the fridge and I pulled out the big pitcher and there was like three drops in it. Somebody had put the pitcher back empty and uh, it was not clear. So I could not see that. And so I, I poured three drops and, you know, into the first cup and the kids just stared at me like, what? <laughs> And from then I offered water and no one was <laughs> that excited about that. So, I mean, it's just that very simple premise that I believe we all know, but it's super easy to forget that I cannot give what I do not have. So if I do not spend time receiving from Jesus, I cannot give Jesus 
to anybody, not to my students, not to my children, not to my spouse. It's just, it's not possible to give what you don't have. Amen. So Alicia, you, I know you speak, but you also write through Proverbs 31 ministries. Um, where can people go to find what you've written in the past? Yeah, people can um, start with my website, which is alishabruxfort.net. They can connect with me on my writer page on Facebook. That's Alicia Bruxfort, The Overflow. Um, and also they can just go to the Proverbs 31 Ministries website, proverbs31.org. That's a great place to start. Thanks for tuning in to today's conversation with Alicia Bruxfort. If you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, please don't hesitate to email me at bruss, that's B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with CSI, this is Lighting a Fire.